We started this series called Deep and Wide last weekend and talked about this, uh, uh, the story from Nehemiah chapter 2 and how Nehemiah was going back to a city that was in ruins and how God has a plan in his heart for the city. Uh, Nehemiah 2 is specifically about uh, Jerusalem, um, but we made the observation that God has a plan in his heart for cities because uh, you'll see that uh, he has a heart for Babylon, he has a heart for Nineveh, uh, that he cares about cities. And, uh, and he cares about our city. And uh, as we were talking about Nehemiah 2, we talked about the fact that as Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt, so does our city need to be uh, rebuilt. And we threw this picture of the city of Warsaw up on the screen uh, last week. And uh, it's a city uh, in, in ruins. There it is. Uh, and, and this is a, a computer-enhanced picture of, of, of old pictures put together here. Um, but as you look at that city... Uh, you, see, you see rubble and ruins, and we made the observation last week that while it, it looks like from the outside looking in that our city is, is perfectly put together as you look at freshly painted houses and carefully manicured lawns, but once you get inside the door of, of many homes and apartments and, and you get inside businesses, what you see is rubble and ruin. You see all kinds of, of pain. And uh, we talked about uh, some of those, those snapshots of that shattered piece by looking at some of the stats uh, from uh, the Marion County of what that looks like in our city with crime and divorce rates and the pain of foreclosure and, and, and the, the greatest pain here of 286,000 plus people estimated uh, people in our city that, that don't know Jesus Christ, uh, that don't know the, the, the rest that comes in being in relationship with, with God. And there's, there's a lot of ruin and rubble in, in our city. Yet God has a plan in his heart for the city. And as we look at the rubble, we look at uh, stats like that and stories like that are represented by those stats. We can, we, can be prompt, we can be prompted to ask the question, how? How in the world? I mean, how do you rebuild? When you see a city in ruins, how in the world do you make that happen? And, and we have a lot of those how questions that come to mind. But we, we were reminded last week that, God, that how is God's specialty. That, that putting things back together that seem overwhelming, the, the personal parts of our lives or a citywide uh, a problem, that how is God's specialty? And so God is looking for people who see the plan in his heart and say, that's my plan. And that was the story of Nehemiah last week. And, uh, and, and this week, uh, what I want to talk to you about is, is more of, 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 of how this happens and what this, what, this, uh, what this looks like. But before I do that, let me just throw a couple phrases we've been talking about around here. Because uh, we've been talking about who we are as cloud followers. We're people who are keeping in step with the Spirit. That we move where, where God moves. We, we move when God moves. And uh, the timing isn't always convenient. Uh, but whether it's convenient or inconvenient, comfortable or uncomfortable, we have our eyes on Christ and we're moving where he is moving. Uh, that, that's who we are. Why we exist is represented by our mission statement. And this has been around Salem Alliance for quite some time. Uh, a mission statement goes this way. We exist to exalt Jesus Christ, become his fully devoted followers, and to share his grace and truth with all people. So we're cloud followers, this is why we exist, and we have this vision now uh, of, of a city at peace with God. This is uh, where we're going, uh, our city, uh, city at peace with God. Again, when you think of a city, think, uh, think of not just Salem, think Salem-Kaiser, think uh, the valley, think Monmouth, Independence, uh, Sublimity State, and Brooks, Jervis, think this valley. Uh, we, we believe that God has a plan on his heart for this valley that these cities would be at peace uh, with him. 
Several years ago, I was leading a small group, and I, I prompted the conversation by asking a question at the front end of the small group, asked the question, what was your nickname in high school? And uh, as people started thinking about their nickname, like you were thinking about your nickname in high school, uh, there were some kind of the smiles on people's faces, and uh, some people shared some of their nicknames. I mean, they were like their initials from their first and middle name. Uh, one guy who had, uh, had some Italian roots uh, kind of sheepishly said in the small group that his nickname in high school was the Italian Stallion, uh, which sounds a little bit odd when someone who's 50 plus is sharing that that's their nickname. Uh, another guy said his nickname in high school was Ace. Uh, someone said that their nickname in high school was Einstein, which was, I mean, it still fit him uh, on that day because he was a, he's a brilliant engineer uh, with a large company. And then one of the wives in the group uh, was vulnerable and shared that her nickname in high school was Battle Axe, uh, which uh, tells a little story, doesn't it? Uh, uh, nicknames have a, a, a way of, do, of doing that. And in fact, the church has got some nicknames. If you read the New Testament, you'll see some, some names that are given to the church. Uh, there's well over a dozen of them. Let me just hit a few of them. One of them is the temple. Uh, the church is called a temple. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about uh, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and the, and the apostles and the prophets, they're the foundation and, and we are stones and God is the architect and the church is this temple and, and the picture that that name or that metaphor gives of who we are is that, that we are a place where God's presence resides. That as individuals, we are the temple. Uh, that God's presence resides in us and we as the church uh, experience his presence in us. That's just one of the nicknames given to the church in the New Testament. Uh, another one you find uh, is in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're called sheep. It's not the most, you know, uh, greatest nickname. You may, you know, kind of hurt your self-esteem maybe a little bit to be called a sheep, but we're part of the flock. And, and, and we have a great shepherd, an overseer of our souls. And what that tells us is that as sheep, we're vulnerable. We need leadership in our lives. We don't know which way to go. But we have a great shepherd that even though while we're vulnerable, he cares for us. He's watching, he notices, he cares about us. And that's another nickname. Another nickname is given to us as the bride of Christ. And, um, uh, you know, as the bride of Christ, we have a bridegroom. His name is Jesus. And one day there's going to be a wedding feast. And, uh, and uh, the, this, this name, this nickname given to the church, the bride of Christ, is a picture of spiritual intimacy. And again, there's, there's well over a dozen of these names or metaphors that are given uh, uh, to the church, and each one carries a message with it, uh, whether it's spiritual intimacy or we have someone who cares for us, uh, even though we're vulnerable, or that, that we are a temple, we, God's presence resides in us. Each one of those pictures uh, just informs us in who we are. Now, here's the deal. When we get the picture wrong of who we are, some pretty ugly things can happen. When we don't have an, a, a true picture of who we are, some, some pretty nasty things can happen. I mean, just look in church history and, and you, can, uh, you can see some of that unfold or be manifested. But on the, on the reverse side, when we get the picture right of who we are, beautiful things can happen. Wonderful things happen. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna give you a picture uh, of who we are that's rooted, yes, in Scripture, but it's also rooted in our own history here as, as a city. And, and it's this picture of that, the fact that we are a mission, and more specifically, that we are a mission to the city of Salem. Again, think valley. 
Don't just think just Salem, Salem, Kaiser, other cities as well. But we, I want to just paint this picture for us that, that we are a mission to the city of Salem. As we see God's plan that's on his heart for our city, a city in ruins, a, a plan that a city be at peace with him, what we do is we posture ourselves in such a way that we go on offense and that we, we, we're, we're sort of leaning forward because we are a mission to the city of Salem. And that, that's, a, that's a picture that we, we, see, uh, we see painted in the scripture. In fact, Acts 1.8, uh, Acts 1.8 is a, a, uh, one of those, those classic passages that speaks to this. Uh, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12, Isaiah uh, says this same thing in a different way because this, this verse is pulled out of the context of, of people coming back from exile to their city in ruin, uh, to their city of rubble, Jerusalem, where the walls have been pushed down, the city's been burnt. And as the exiles are coming back, Isaiah writes, he says, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes which is actually a pretty cool name to be given to somebody who, who, uh, who, who uh, rebuilds. You will be given a name. You'll be called a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. But if you look at that scripture, and this is the New Living Translation that, that, that's up there on the screen. You look at that first phrase, it says, some of you, meaning not everyone engages in this mission of rebuilding. Why is that? Why is it that, that it says only some of you? Well, the why in that is because when, when God calls us to something, something happens within us that uh, there's this tension that we experience. Uh, when when God, God calls us to go, uh, we, we feel like this, well, the, yeah, that would be the right thing, but that's gonna cost me something. That, that's, there's a price tag on that, and I'm not sure if I want to pay that price tag. It's a tension we all feel, whether you want to admit it or not. Some to lesser degrees, some to higher degrees. Now, Hugh Halter, in his book called The, the, the Tangible Kingdom, Halter puts some words to the tension that we feel in our hearts when it comes to what he calls a staying. And I'll just put them up here on this, on, on this easel. He puts some words to the, this staying mindset. Now, some of you are champions spelling beers. You know, you, you, you won spelling contests when you were kids, so right now you're already going, wait, one of these words is, is misspelled. That's not how you spell boredom. It's how I spell it, okay? <laughs> so just imagine a little E right here after the R, and your soul will be at ease, all right? And don't get stuck there. Keep, keep working with me. I did not have a high GPA in high school. Uh, all right, so we got these words. These are, this is stay thinking. Now, I want you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home, and I'm gonna take you to a new place, and it's gonna be a journey, and you're gonna go there, and you're gonna be blessed, and I'm gonna bless the nations through you. Uh, your name will be, will be honored, and I want you to pick up everything you have and leave and go and do this. Well, we don't get all the details of what, what Abraham was, was thinking when God said that to him. 
But when he says that to us, if he were to say that to us, these are the kind of things that flood through our mind. Like, is this safe? Is it really safe to go to this place? Um, what about our comfort? I mean, I, I kind of like where I'm at. Um, and, and by the way, my life is stable. I got a keel in the water here. I, I've got family here. I've got a job here. I, 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 I like stability. In fact, I like security. Um, I, I, I like knowing that, that, that I'm going to be safe. And status quo, you might think it's a bad word, but status quo is kind of nice. I, I like a routine. And yeah, you may say my life is boring, but, um, but you know, I, I've got security and safety and stability, and I'm, I'm doing all right. And sometimes all this thinking is motivated by control. We like to have control. We like to, we like to know we're safe. We like to know when that, uh, that, that, how things are going to pan out. We like to know that that person's there to bail us out in case something goes wrong. Uh, and going puts uh, control, uh, you know, well, just kind of, it tosses it out the window. And then expectations, I know what to expect here. So when you say go there, that makes me, that gives me sweaty palms. Th- these are some of the words that, that come to mind when, uh, when God says go, as, as it was with Abraham. Now, Halter, also in his, in his uh, book, Tangible Kingdom, um, talks about the going words. Here are some of the words that are spelled correctly about going, all right? Uh, th- words like, now picture the disciples on the beach. Jesus is talking to them. He, they have this enormous catch, and he says to them, follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Well, if they're gonna follow Jesus, they're sacrificed, right? They're gonna have to leave their small business on the beach. And, and yes, there's blessing, but it's, it's down the road, and there's risk in doing this, a danger. And yeah, we're hopeful about the future, and there's a sense of adventure, but it's scary, and there's fear as well, because it involves change, and it means taking steps of faith. It means not just having faith, but expressing faith, which makes us all nervous, because we like to have the steps mapped out. Okay, Jesus, follow you. Can you kind of give me an itinerary of what that means and, and share with me all the ramifications of, of, of how that's going to impact me? And, oh, great, there's whippings and beatings in prison. Hmm, let me think about this, because I really like safety and comfort and stability. I don't think this is for me, Jesus. We don't get all the steps mapped out, and sometimes, yeah, there are some pretty difficult things, but there's some incredible blessings as well, and there is a cost to going. Now, pull back here for a moment, because we think about a city in ruins, and we think about being rebuilders and restorers. We see ourselves as a mission to the city. That means that God will likely ask us to do some things that don't feel safe or uncomfortable or we're not in control. Some things that might scare us, but yeah, there's hope and blessing and all that. Now, Aaron's gonna throw these, these words on the side screens over here. We're gonna put the stay words over here, put the go words over here, and I want you to, to look at those words for a second and, and be honest with yourself as you answer this question. What word do you value? when you think about these, these words on the screen, what word or words is important to you? Think about this, because this is gonna tell you something about yourself. 
You could look at those words and then say, what words does our culture value? Our culture has a strong value for things like safety. You know, when I was a kid and you rode your skateboard down the hill, you just jumped on the skateboard and went. Now we got helmets and knee pads and elbow pads, and those are good things, but basically now we just wrap a kid in a mattress and then send him down the hill (laughs) because we want to be safe. It's not wrong to want to be safe. But when when that value becomes a supreme value and God says, hey, I'd like you to move to Tunisia where they're telling all Americans to leave today. Well, hmm. Doesn't sound very safe. But if God's saying that, or maybe a, a, perhaps a more relevant go question or go uh, statement from God, I want you to go across the street and have a conversation with somebody. Even if it's across the street, something rises up within us because going costs us something. There is a price in going. And we need to understand that, yeah, we may not have all the answers about how things are going to work out, but if we are going to see our city rebuilt, and if we're going to posture ourselves as a mission, by the way, that concept is rooted in our city. Jason Lee, if, if you were here last week, he told the story about how four Indians went, on, went over to St. Louis, Missouri, and met with General William Clark and asked for the, the book of heaven that tells how to converse with the great spirit and how to live with him after you die. That, that, that story is rooted in our, in our church history. If you were here when that story w- w- was told, um, you, you know that, that that message went out and missionaries were sent. Jason Lee came over here and guess what he started? A mission. Mission Bottom, which then moved to, to Mission Mill, just four blocks south of us on Broadway. And then, and then he started missions in Roseburg, in Oregon City, in Astoria, in Tacoma, in the Dows. There are missions all around here. This concept of being a mission is rooted biblically as well as our own location, our own history. So when we say we are a mission, we are saying we are a going people and we understand that that challenges some of these things. There's a cost to going. So we we take the word mission here and even as we take that word, what we need to understand is that mission, Halter again says this in his book, The Tangible Kingdom, mission has an inseparable twin. Meaning, you know how you see twins that dress alike and they think alike and their hair's done the same and it seems like they're feeling the same thing at the right time. They're just, they're just inseparable. They, they're, they're, uh, they're always together. Well, mission has an inseparable twin and that twin is called incarnation. And meaning it's, it can be kind of a big word and maybe it's a word you, you're typically used to hearing at Christmas. Um, but incarnation means to put flesh to something. To put flesh to a concept, an idea, or to a person. That's how we're talking about here. See, here's the deal. As we go, one of the things we have to understand is we set aside this mindset that that as we go, we say, you're wrong, I'm right. That's that's not how Jesus did this. He, He came, he took on flesh, he became... God incarnate. John chapter one, verse 14, the disciple John captures this uh, in his gospel. Um, He wrote these words. He said, so the word, speaking of Jesus, so the word became human and made his home among us. 
He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He made his home among us. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how he set aside uh, the the glory of heaven, left the glory of heaven, and and came to earth and took on flesh. He he took on humanity in in the incarnation. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase uh, of John chapter 1 verse 14... Says, puts, it, put this, puts this verse this way. He says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Now get this. God is on a mission. He sends his one and only son his one and only son comes in, 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 uh, in human flesh. He doesn't come with this posture of, you're wrong, I'm right. No, in fact, he does, the, he does quite the opposite. He postures himself in such a way towards people that people give him a nickname, many nicknames. They call him things like a friend of sinners, a drunkard, a glutton. In fact, the religious uh, community called him, at one point in time, they called him Beelzebub. They called him Satan. He, his posture was toward the rubble. And the people who, who perceived that they had no rubble in their lives didn't like the way that Jesus was posturing himself to Israel, to, to the Jewish people. But what we see in Christ is we see a God who sends his son on a mission, who, by, by the way, left safety behind, uh, left a lot of the comforts of heaven behind, and if you remember the, the first word on going, it's sacrifice, and Jesus made sacrifices, ultimately going to the cross. He did this because he was taking on flesh, he was entering into, he was moving into our neighborhood, posturing himself in such a way that people would say, this guy is for us. We like him. We want to be around him. And that was Christ's posture. It was the incarnation. So as we see our city, a city in ruins, a city of rubble, and we see God's plan, and we embrace them as our plan, we understand that we're we're embracing Christ's mission for our city, which comes with a cost And mission has an inseparable twin, and it's called incarnation. We take on flesh. We are flesh, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. We become generous inside and out. We become true from start to finish. And as we live that life, as we posture ourselves in that way toward our city, what happens is that people notice the Christ life within us. And they're drawn to it, and it gives all kinds of opportunities to talk about how to rebuild a life or who Christ is. Jesus did not shy away about preaching about the kingdom of God. He was not shy about who his father was. But it came out of moving into the neighborhood, and it came out of his expression of who, if you see me, you've seen the father, he would say to his disciples. This is who my father is. Now, I, I want to, in, in, in my closing time here, I, I want to I give you a picture of what this can look like. 
of, of what this can look like for us right here in Salem. So I'm gonna invite um, a couple friends up here on the platform and they're gonna share a little bit of their story of, uh, of what this looks like uh, in, in their lives. And you guys are living in South Salem and um, you've been there for nine years, if I get it right. Nine years in South Salem. Talk to us about um, the rubble of South Salem. What's that look like? Uh, in your neighborhood? Uh, yes, so we've been in our neighborhood for about nine years and have just had the privilege of doing life with our neighbors. And I think what's something that stands out is that we just have a really typical American street and it's, you know, nothing fantastic about it. But um, as you do go a little deeper, there is a lot of pain in our neighborhood. And I kind of go down the, the houses and there's divorce and there is addiction and have a elderly couple who um, are both just being slammed with some pretty serious health, um, health problems right now and another family who lost a dad about a year and a half ago to suicide and, and so as we've just done life with these folks, um, you know, it just comes out when, when you're saying, hey, how's it going? You know, we, they've, mm-hmm. we've had the privilege of them telling us honestly what's What's going on in their lives? Well, in, in light of the pain in your own neighborhood, um, that's pretty significant. Suicide, uh, substance abuse, divorce, and, and, and those other kind of things going on there as well. How have you guys um, put flesh uh, to your faith in your own neighborhood? Yeah. Um, you know, we do, in our neighborhood, we have lots of young families, lots of young kids, and I know a, a big part of it is, is probably just opening the house to to the other young kids when, when, the, when the moms, you know, are in a bad spot or need help. I know um, is watching out for those other little kids in the neighborhood. Uh, personally, um, we live next door to a, uh, a, young couple, a young family. It's four kids, a single mom. She hasn't always been a single mom, uh, just for about the last couple of years. Personally, uh, my son and I have just kind of taken it upon ourselves to just take care of her, her lawn, you know, do the, do the lawn work for her and just help out uh, with anything else that, that she might need help with because she's, she's busy with four young kids on her own. Um, also, uh, for those kids that, you know, some families that don't have dads in their lives, uh, just reaching out to those kids and trying to involve them in what um, I'm doing with my young kids, be it going to, to, uh, to the park across the street and teaching them how to play baseball or shoot 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 baskets and um, just last week um, was able to uh, help my, my good buddies, uh, my son's good buddy, uh, take his training wheels off, teach him how to ride a bike. He, he doesn't have a dad. His dad committed suicide a year and a half ago. Uh, so just reaching out, trying to be a father figure to some of those kids that don't have a dad presence. And I know you guys would say that you, you're not the picture perfect family and you've got your own rubble you deal with in your own lives and so you're not trying to portray that you got it all together but I mean this it's pretty a powerful way to just put flesh to your faith what what kind of opportunities has that presented to you guys um, in articulating your faith well we've just been blessed we've got to uh, share our faith with a few of our neighbors and some have been open to it and some haven't and we just keep on loving them and doing life with them and my son got to invite a buddy to go to Canyon View with him this summer and they loved it and that opened the door to his family coming to Salem Alliance and 
Uh, one of the most exciting things that happened just about a month or so ago is uh, one of our neighbors who has struggled with addiction from the time we've known him. Um, he came over and said, I have this opportunity to, to go into rehab in the next few days and was hoping you guys would pray over me. And we were incredibly humbled and excited and <laughs> nervous, really, one of us, but um, we just, we prayed over him and read scripture over him and um, afterwards, Jeff and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just moving and, and giving us guidance and giving us the words. And so the next evening, there's a knock on the door and it's our neighbor again. And, and got to ask him how his day had gone. And, and he just said, I felt something bigger in my life today. I felt something bigger moving. And he said he felt strength that he hadn't had before. And so got to talking again and conversation led to uh, letting Jesus be Lord of your life, asking Jesus into your heart. And he said, well, um, I kind of thought we were gonna do that last night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kind of thought I missed the ball there. <laughs> but, but we uh, we just uh, asked him if that's what he wanted to do, and he did, and he asked Jesus into his heart that night. Mm. And um, so he's he's walking a hard road, and it's uh, it's a dark place. But he's uh, yeah he's asked Jesus into his heart, and he's a new creation. Mm. Praise God. What what would you guys say to us? As we talk about, you know, being a mission um, and putting flesh to our faith, this mission incarnation concept, um, what, what would you say to us that you've learned from your experience? How, how would you share with us? Um, I don't feel like uh, I'm, I'm probably the best person to ask or for, to give anybody advice on this. Uh, don't feel like the person I'm doing anything um, special. Uh, I guess it's just love your neighbors. Uh, keep your eyes open for opportunity, and um, maybe just take the initiative to go to reach out to them. Hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, I just would add, um, and these are actually your words from last week, that if, just to ask God to show you the pain in your neighborhood, and I think that, I believe in my heart, God wants to do that. God wants us to have eyes open to that and be willing to, to reach out. Awesome. Would you thank these guys for sharing a little bit of their story with us? Thanks, guys. You know, when you hear Acts 1-8, it says, you shall be my witnesses. Um, I, I don't know if mowing lawns and teaching kids how to ride bikes is something that enters into your mind. But that is a witness to God's work in you. Um, that you, you, would, you would care for your neighbors or... or um, do that in some way at the office or in your, in your place of work, wherever that is. Because as you do, that city that was in ruins gets slowly put back together, one, one stone at a time. And as we, as we follow, we, we take God's, the plants on God's heart and we make it our plan. And we, we pay the price of going. Because I tell you what, it's a lot more convenient to just sit on the couch and you know, watch something on TV, then mow someone's lawn. Um, uh, but going costs something. And incarnation is this inseparable twin. We put flesh to our faith. We set aside this thinking, this, this lead story, so to speak, of you're wrong, I'm right. Let me talk to you about that. Uh, to, I mean, just, 
If you haven't figured that out already, it, it doesn't work too well. Um, and, and there are times that God does ask us to be bold. And, and we, we do share who Jesus is. But a lot of times, it, it's just doing life like Jesus did. And moving into the neighborhood and posturing ourselves in such a way that we are living for our city. And as it happens, the rebuilding work takes place and you will be called rebuilders. You will be called a restorer of homes. And may it be so in our city. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for... um, Salem Alliance, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the many wonderful churches in our city that are, that are, are they got the, the gas pedal down on this and they, they want to love this city and demonstrate uh, your love to the people of our city. And Lord, um, we want to proclaim your, your goodness in that as well. And we just pray for the peace of our city. We pray that, uh, that, that Salem and Kaiser and this Willamette Valley would experience your rest, your shalom that they would know the joy of being in right relationship with you. We ask and pray, Lord, that the the largest percentage of the inhabitants of this valley will one day call you Lord. We we pray to that end because we know that as we find peace with you, Lord, then we, we know how to love our neighbors. We have harmony in our relationships with others. And we ask and pray this for the sake of your great name, the name of Jesus. Amen.